Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke's story of the call of the first disciples. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A friend of mine is the pastor of a church in downtown Atlanta. He tells the story of a woman who showed up one day for a Sunday service. When she walked through the doors of the church, it was immediately apparent that she hadn't been there in some time. For one thing, she sat in the pew and in the very seat that was always occupied by one of the eldest and longest term members. When that member arrived, he said nothing to the woman, but climbed over her to sit in the middle of his pew. It was a communion Sunday, and the members had a tradition of taking each element as the trays were passed and then waiting until everyone else had been served before they ate and drank. But as soon as the woman received her cube of bread, she popped it in her mouth and swallowed it down. Her pewmate said, Nothing but gave her a look. She didn't seem to notice. When the cups of juice came around on the shiny silver trays, she took one and drank it down in a large gulp, turning the cup upside down to get every last drop. At this point, the man sitting beside her couldn't take it anymore. Look here, he said to the woman. At this church, we wait until everyone has received the bread and the cup, and then we eat and drink together. The woman returned his glare with a smile. I'm so sorry, she said. I really, really needed that now. 
I just couldn't wait any longer. People are needy. We are needy. Which means that much of our moment-to-moment existence is about getting our needs met. There are the basic needs. We need to eat and sleep, work and play. And there are deeper needs. We need to love and be loved, to find purpose and meaning, to be validated and listened to. Sometimes these needs, when not met, turn into not-so-healthy needs. The need to express our opinions, the need to speak louder than others, the need to be right. But at the core of every one of these needs is the deepest need of all. God created us to need each other. For fishermen like Simon in today's story, a large catch of fish was a manifestation of getting the most basic needs met, which also met some deeper needs as well. A big catch meant stability, support, provision, and plenty, not just for the fishermen, but for his family and even for his entire community. A big catch meant that for at least a while, there would be more than enough for everyone. What made this particular big catch so special, though, was that it didn't make any sense. Simon and his partners had been working all night, but they'd caught nothing and they'd given up. They brought the boats in, they were cleaning the nets, they would try again later. But when Jesus needed a boat to get a little distance from the crowd he was teaching, Simon said, sure, they didn't need it right now. In exchange, when he's finished teaching, Jesus offers the fishermen some advice. Go put down your nets again in the deep water. Jesus isn't talking about the literal depth of the water here. He's using a word that means something like the primordial sea, the prehistoric chaos. The the Hebrew word used for this in Genesis 1 is tovu, bevohu. We can imagine that Simon thought he was humoring Jesus, showing deference to a master teacher who knew nothing about fishing. Until suddenly, the nets were breaking under the weight of all the fish. That's when Simon realizes he is in the presence of something much bigger and more powerful than he realized. This Jesus isn't just a teacher. Jesus' response when Simon falls down before him in humility and amazement is to say, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And Simon left everything and followed Jesus. In an email meditation this week, Richard Rohr writes, Our temptation now and always is to trust in our faith tradition instead of trusting in God. They are not the same thing. He goes on, Often our faith is in our tradition in which we talk about people who have trusted God in the past. That's a sad way to avoid the experience itself, to avoid scary encounters with the living God. 
When we hear today's story and other call stories in the Bible, the prophets, the disciples, the apostles, it's easier for us to have faith in that tradition, in those stories, rather than allowing our faith to be equally formed and shaped by our own experiences of God, by our own responses to God's invitation to go to the deeper waters. In today's story, Jesus invites Simon to move from a faith grounded in stories of other people's divine encounters to a faith that comes from his own encounter with the living God, an encounter which invites him to deeper waters and deeper relationships, not just with God, but with other people. From now on, Jesus says, you will be catching people. Last Monday morning, I'm guessing nearly every minister in America received a text or an email with a link to a New York Times editorial titled, Why Churches Should Drop Their Online Services. The article makes the argument that worship is meant to be an embodied experience with people gathered together in the same physical space. After two years of living into a concept of physical distancing new to most of us in early 2020, we have developed a deep appreciation for what it means to be together in person. And we know it is different to be with someone in the same room than to be with them online. But most of the pastors I know were truly disheartened by the way this article glossed over the benefits of online church, not just for those who continue to be particularly vulnerable to the virus, but also for groups of people the church had not even realized we had been excluding long before the pandemic. The truth is many churches, including ours, had fallen behind in implementing technologies that would have included members with physical health or mobility issues, or even mental health issues that made it challenging for them to come to church in person. Now that we have found more ways to include more people, why would we want to go back? As we consider this, it might be helpful to remember that things we now take for granted as a part of our lives, including writing, printed words on a page, radio, television, even microphones. These were all once new technologies viewed with suspicion. I have no doubt this debate over online worship will continue to rage as the pandemic wanes. But on Monday, after having multiple conversations about the article with staff members and colleagues and church members, something else remarkable happened. At six o'clock Monday evening, Janet and I started a Zoom call for our J-term class, Faith and Finance. When everyone arrived, we had 16 people in squares on our screens. We started with introductions during which we learned that about a third of the participants had come to or returned to FPC during the pandemic because of our online presence. We read a Bible story together about trusting God to provide us with enough for each day. We took some time off screen to finalize our homework assignment, writing a money autobiography, 
Reflecting on our childhood and the messages we received at home and at church about money. Then we came back together on Zoom and took turns sharing. Just a few people into the sharing, it became clear. Something amazing was happening. Even though we were 16 people in 14 different locations, there were couples on the call, the honesty and vulnerability with which people shared built bridges across time and space. By the end of our time together, we had laughed, many of us had cried, and we had all felt the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though it was supposed to be a one-time class, we agreed to keep the conversation going. The emails I got afterwards from multiple participants each said something along the lines of, I had no idea that reflecting on money and my childhood would be such a powerful way to learn about myself and others and God. This thing we call discipleship is a lifelong journey of following Jesus. But more than anything else, discipleship is about people. People and God, yes, but maybe even more people and each other. Simon was a professional fisherman given instructions by an itinerant teacher he'd never met to fish in a part of the sea he usually avoided. Like with Simon, Jesus invites us to go beyond our usual ways of doing things, even to go toward chaos and uncertainty. God calls us to go deeper, not to make us uncomfortable, but because it is when we are out of our depth, when we are forced to let go of all the habits we use to make our lives work, it is then that we encounter God and each other in a new way. For many years, the Methodist minister, Will Willimon, was the dean of the chapel at Duke University. <clears throat> he tells about this encounter with a Duke fraternity. One night, some years ago, he writes, a fraternity invited me to give a talk. The dean requires them to have a certain number of programs each year in order to give fraternities some semblance of respectability. My assigned topic was character and college. I thought, I can't believe they're dumb enough to invite an old guy like me to talk to young guys like them on character. But Williman went to their fraternity and knocked on their door. The door opened and he was greeted by a young boy of about nine or ten. What's a kid doing here at this time of night, he wondered. Surely we have rules against children in the dorm this late. They're waiting for you in the common room, the kid said. Follow me. I'll take you there. They wound their way back to the common room where the fraternity was gathered, glumly waiting for the presentation. As Williman began his remarks, he saw the little boy climb into the lap of one of the fraternity brothers. Shortly, he fell asleep with his head on the shoulder of this college kid. Williman hammered them for the moral failures of their generation for about half an hour. When he finally finished talking, he asked if they had any questions or comments. There was dead silence. So he thanked them and made his way out. 
He heard the college kid taking him to the door say to the little boy, you go on and read, get ready for bed. I'll be in to tuck you in and read you a story. When Williman stood just outside the door, the fraternity brother lit a cigarette, took a drag on it, and thanked Williman for coming. Let me ask you, Williman said to him, who was that kid there tonight? Oh, that's Daryl, the fraternity brother said. Our fraternity is part of the Big Brother program. We met Daryl that way. His mom's an addict, and she's having a tough time. Sometimes it gets so bad she can't care for him. So we told Daryl to call us up when he needs us. We go over, pick him up, and he stays with us until it's okay to go home again. We take him to school, buy him his clothes, books, and stuff. Well, that's amazing, Williman said. I take back everything I said about you people being bad and irresponsible. I'll tell you what's amazing, the fraternity brother said as he took another drag on his cigarette. What's amazing is that God would pick a guy like me to do something this good for somebody else. Of all the needs that motivate us, God knows the deepest one of all is our need for each other. Those first disciples were ordinary fishermen, hardworking, uneducated, unsophisticated. But when Simon answered Jesus' call to go deeper and hauled in a catch bigger than he could have imagined, he knew exactly what to do. He signaled his partners in the other boats, to come and help. I wonder if it was this moment when Jesus decided, these are my guys. These are the ones I want with me on my journey, by my side, through everything that is to come. Because Jesus needs followers who will do what he says, even when it makes no sense. But he also needs followers who aren't afraid to reach out to others, not just to give help, but to ask for it. And if you notice, this is what inspires James and John to follow Jesus as well. Jesus needs disciples who know, as the author Kate Bowler says, that we are all group projects. Because discipleship is a group project. And this is the gift of discipleship. God's gift of meeting our deepest need for each other. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus is with us always, teaching us, loving us, providing us with what we need, and that Jesus is inviting us to go deeper, to the places of uncertainty and chaos, of nuance and ambiguity. And the good news is we aren't called to do it alone. In these deep waters, there are partners in the boats, all around us. People whose experiences are different from ours, which means they have a lot to teach us and a lot to learn from us. Jesus has called us to go deeper 
And when we do, we will discover Jesus also gives us the gift of each other, that together we might experience the true joys of discipleship. Amen.